What a joy it is to see God's work in the UCI ministry. We thank uh, Jason and Francis for praying and for uh, Peter and for the team. We're looking forward to seeing how God is going to work uh, mightily this, uh, this next year. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 this morning. We are continuing our study of the book of Philippians. And our passage this morning is going to come from verses 9 to 11. Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11. And the title of this morning's message is A Prayer for Spiritual Growth. A Prayer for Spiritual Growth. Let's read this passage together, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me begin by saying that you can tell a lot about a man by his prayer life. If you examine a man's prayers, you will find the true passions and desires that are on his heart. Paul, as he writes the book of Philippians, is imprisoned for preaching the gospel. He awaits a court date which may possibly take his life. And yet his prayers, in verse 9, are not for himself. His prayers are not that his trials would go away. His prayers are not that the Lord would spare his life. His prayers are not to avoid execution. His prayers are for the church. And specifically, what he's praying for here is that the church would grow spiritually. This is a prayer for spiritual growth. The passion of Paul's heart was that the church of Jesus Christ would grow spiritually and mature in their walks with the Lord. And we learn from this passage that the heart of a true shepherd is simply that. A true shepherd desires the spiritual maturity of the flock of God. The heart of any true leader, the heart of any true pastor, is that the church would grow spiritually. 1 Peter 2, verse 2, Peter said, Long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. I want you to grow You've been saved, you've been redeemed, and now it's time to grow spiritually. 2 Peter 3.18, Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.11, Paul instructed the church and gave an overall picture of the church's ministry. And he said that leaders are given to equip the saints for the work of service. And this is all for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul wanted the church to grow spiritually. And I understand this desire as a pastor. This is the desire of every true shepherd of Christ. I think of my children. For those of you who have seen my children, they are getting big. I look at the parents of the church who are still wheeling around their kids in baby strollers, and I think that was just yesterday for me, but I can't do that anymore. Some of you have your babies in baby slings, and I remember the days when I used to do that with my oldest child, and now he's as tall as I am. They are consuming larger quantities of food every passing day. This is my joy as a father to watch them grow. This is my passion as a father to provide everything that I can for my children so that they would grow to maturity. 
In a similar way, the passion of any true shepherd of Jesus Christ is to see the flock of God grow. Paul not only exhorted the church to grow spiritually, he modeled this passion for spiritual growth in his own life. He didn't just tell other people to grow. He himself said, I need to grow. Philippians 3 verse 10, Paul says that my desire is to know him. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know him better today than I did yesterday. I want to be closer in an intimate relationship with him. And he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If there's any man who would have been excused from growing spiritually, it would have been Paul. If there's any man who would have said, you know what, you don't need to grow. You've arrived. You can just relax and coast the rest of the way. It would have been the Apostle Paul. He wrote 13 New Testament epistles. He planted numerous churches. He saw Jesus Christ with his own eyes. He went up into the third heaven. We would say, Paul, you don't need to grow. And Paul says, you're wrong. I need to grow. I haven't arrived. You think I've reached some level of spiritual maturity where I can just coast the rest of the way? No, I want to know Jesus more tomorrow than I did yesterday. I'm not resting on my laurels. I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. And I'm pressing on. I remember my dear seminary professor, Dr. Roskup. The man was a spiritual giant. He had two doctorates in theology. He taught the Bible faithfully for decades. He rose every morning at 4 o'clock and began the day with two hours of prayer. He had read and reviewed most major commentaries on every book in the Bible. And I remember him sharing in class. Here's a man in his mid-60s, and he's sharing, I need to grow spiritually. And I looked at him and I said, well, if you need to grow spiritually, then I need a growth spurt. I need some spiritual steroids because I'm a midget spiritually compared to where you're at. But here are these great godly men of God, and they're saying, I need to grow. I haven't arrived. I'm pressing on. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews rebukes the church for not growing spiritually. Verse 11, he says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. The word dull means lazy or sluggish. The church had become slothful in their hearing of God's word. And in verse 12, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. It's an unflattering comparison. The writer of Hebrews compares the church to a 10-year-old child who is still drinking baby milk. Infant formula. And he says, you ought to have grown to the point where I can feed you hamburgers and french fries and steak and potatoes. I want to feed you solid food, but you're still just desiring infant formula because you haven't grown. You've become sluggish in how you hear God's word. First Corinthians 3.1, Paul says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, 
for you were not ready for it. We would be very concerned if a child were to stop growing physically, wouldn't we? I'd be very concerned if my children's school photos were exactly the same from grade one to grade six, that they're not growing in terms of height or weight or intellect. In a similar way, we are very concerned if Christians stop growing. And the simple question I would ask you this morning is, Christian, are you growing spiritually? Christian, are you growing? Are you a different Christian today than you were six months ago? Can you honestly say that you know Jesus Christ more intimately today than you did a year ago? Are you pressing on to know Jesus Christ? Are you forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead? Because Paul would say, I'm in jail. I'm going through the most severe trial of my life. But gaining my freedom is not my priority and it's not my passion. My priority and my passion is that the church grow. This is my prayer, is that you grow spiritually. In Philippians 1 verse 9, we find three ways that Paul wanted the church to grow, and these are three ways that God wants us to grow spiritually as a church. First, Paul wanted the church to grow in love. He wanted the church to grow in love, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Paul begins with love because love is the foundation for all spiritual growth. In fact, I think we would say that love is the essence of all spiritual growth. If you're growing in love, you are growing spiritually. If you're not growing in love, then you're not growing spiritually. It's really as simple as that. Spiritual growth is growth in love. You'll note that the expression in verse 9 is nonspecific. Paul doesn't tell us if he's praying that the Philippians would grow to love God more or to love the church more or to love the word more or to love their neighbor more. He doesn't tell us. He doesn't specify it because the truth is he wanted the church to grow in all of those elements. He wanted the church to grow in love. And he says in verse 9 that I'm praying that your love may abound. The word abound means to overflow in abundance. It pictures a giant waterfall which runs over all of its boundaries. Paul is saying here that love, there can never be enough. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Now Christian, here's a basic principle for spiritual growth. Let's just not make it complicated. Do you want to grow spiritually? Do you want to mature in your relationship with Christ? Do you want to grow up into spiritual maturity? It boils down to this. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Pursue love. Pursue love. Pursue love for God. Love for Christ. Love for God's people. Love for the Word of God. Love for the church. Love for service. Love for ministry. Love for unbelievers. Love for your neighbor. Love for the unreached people groups of the world. Pursue love. Make it the prayer and the aim of your life to grow in love. 1 Corinthians 13.1 If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
1 Timothy 1.5 says the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The reason why we teach the Word of God is love. The reason why we have Bible studies is love. The reason why we have equipping classes, flock groups, the reason why we labor in doctrine and in the Word of God is so that you would grow in love. And if you've missed that goal, then you've missed the whole purpose of why we teach. Because Paul says the goal of our instruction is love. And if we have not love, then we are nothing. Pursue love. Spiritual growth is all about love. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. I think spiritual growth is less complicated than we make it out to be. I think of growing spiritually, and I'm a very kind of Franklin Covey kind of guy, and I have my charts and a little organizing and, and all these goals and spreadsheets. And God reminds me that the essence of spiritual growth is understanding the love of Christ that is expressed in the gospel and growing in my love for Christ and for others. That's it. Pursue love. And somehow, if we want to experience spiritual growth, we have to get back to the simplicity of that aim. It's all about love. John 21, 15, Jesus restores Peter back into ministry. And he asks one question repeated three times. And the question is this, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Paul prayed that the church would grow in love because love is the essence of spiritual growth. There's a second thing that Paul prayed for in verse 9. And he wanted the church to grow in knowledge. He wanted the church to grow in knowledge. Verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now this is very interesting because many times we think of love and knowledge as polar opposites. We think of, well, that guy's a loving person and that guy's a knowledgeable person. But Paul sees them as friends. Love and knowledge go together. And the truth is that growing spiritually is growing in both. It is growing in love and it is growing in knowledge. You'll note the words knowledge and all discernment in verse 9. These words describe a thorough grounding in the teaching of the Word of God. They describe a clear comprehension of biblical truth and the skill to apply those truths to everyday life. The word knowledge is the Greek term epinosis, and it simply means to know or to understand, to have a clear perception of spiritual realities. Paul is describing in verse 9 a Christian who is pursuing a deeper understanding of biblical truth, a deeper understanding of the teaching of the Word of God. John Stott has written this, Truth is an essential ingredient in the Christian experience. To be a Christian, one must come to know the truth. To grow as a Christian is to grow in one's grasp of the truth. Ignorance is a root cause of stunted growth. Paul says, verse 9, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Discernment is the ability to make distinctions. It's the ability to distinguish good from evil, truth 
from error, what is biblical from what is not biblical, and to do so in the context of everyday life. When a baseball player stands in a batter's box, he must look at the pitch and discern whether the ball coming to him is a slider or a fastball or a changeup or a breaking ball, and he must adjust his swing accordingly. In a similar way, the Christian is called to view the world through a biblical lens and to make distinctions of the issues of life. Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Knowledge and discernment go together because truth and application go together. Knowledge says, what does the Bible teach? And discernment says, how does this truth affect my life? What Paul is praying here is that the church be thoroughly grounded in the word of God, that they pursue a deeper understanding of God's word. And as they grow in their comprehension of the truths that are contained in God's word, that they would grow in their application of God's word to everyday living, that they would grow in knowledge and discernment. Now, brothers and sisters, this is just so basic. This is so foundational. We are going back to the name of our church here, Cornerstone Bible Church. There's a reason why we are named that. All spiritual growth is growth in the Bible. It is growth in love, and it is growth in knowledge, knowledge of the Word of God. You cannot grow spiritually apart from a knowledge and application of God's Word. In order to grow spiritually, you must Set yourself on a task, on a course to study the Word of God, to understand and master its contents, and to apply the Word of God to your life, to train your powers of discernment to the point where you can view all of life through a biblical lens and make wise decisions accordingly. That is the essence of spiritual growth. It is growth in love, and it is growth in Knowledge, Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 19:7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And listen to this, more to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Spiritual growth is growth in knowledge. You need to know the Word of God. You need to know what it teaches You need to know the contents of the books of the Bible. You need to know the doctrines that are contained in the Word of God. You need to know what the Bible teaches about Christ, what the Bible teaches about salvation, what the Bible teaches about the church, what the Bible teaches about end times, the second coming. You need to know these things to grow as a Christian. And you say, Dan, doesn't that run the risk of an over-intellectual Christianity? Well, go back to the first point. No, all of this is grounded in an ever-increasing love. Yes, we can run the risk of becoming proud Christians because we are pursuing a knowledge of the Word of God. But brothers and sisters, just because the pursuit of knowledge can be abused does not mean that it should be ignored. 
Paul is praying, in order to grow in love, you need to grow also in knowledge. Know the truths that are contained in God's word. And there's nothing new or novel in what Paul is teaching here. There's nothing complicated or fancy about what he's saying. There are no shortcuts. There is no magic formula. There is no spiritual zap where you get transported to another level of spirituality. You grow spiritually as you know the word of God, as you seek to discern the issues of life through what you know about the truth. And the question I'll simply ask you, brothers and sisters, is are you growing in your knowledge of God's word? Are you growing in your understanding of the scriptures? Can I just ask you real personally, are you reading God's word? Are you listening to it on a regular basis? Do you have a passion to put God's word in your heart? Are you memorizing scripture? Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And brothers and sisters, can I encourage you that none of those things just happen. I've never, never memorized a scripture by waking up in the morning and just saying, I will just let scripture memory happen to me today. These are all things that God's word calls us to pursue. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Handling accurately the word of truth. All spiritual growth is growth in love. All spiritual growth is also growth in knowledge. Keep them together. Don't separate them. If we are to grow spiritually, we must grow relationally in our relationship with God and with one another. And if we grow spiritually, we are to grow in terms of our understanding of the Bible, of Scripture. There's a third and final thing Paul prayed for. He wanted the church to grow in love. He wanted the church to grow in knowledge. And lastly, he wanted the church to grow in purity. He wanted the church to grow in purity. Verse 9, It is my prayer that you, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul wanted the church to be pure. This was his constant preoccupation. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to a pure virgin, to Christ. He says, I'm praying that you grow in holiness, that as a result of your ever-increasing love and your increased comprehension of the Word of God, that you make wise decisions in the course of life, and as a result, what happens is there results a purity and a blamelessness of life. Paul says, so that you may approve what is excellent. It's the Greek term dokimazo. It literally means to test. It was used of testing of coins to determine the purity of their metal. Paul describes here a Christian who tests the issues of life in light of the word of God. And what you note here, he says, he's praying that you would approve what is excellent. In other words, you're not just distinguishing what is bad from good, but you are distinguishing what is good from what is excellent. And you are seeking to walk in the most excellent way. The question is, what is the most excellent way I can love my roommate? 
What is the most excellent way I can spend my time? What is the most excellent way to steward my money? What is the most excellent way to serve in the church? What is the most excellent way to love this unbeliever? One of my children this week was having a bad attitude. Some of you parents can relate to this. I was immediately tempted to become upset with this child. And the Lord gave me discernment to say, getting upset with this child will probably not be helpful. So I decided instead to have a conversation, to talk. And my immediate temptation at that point was to talk and to spend the whole time talking and lecturing and telling this child what he needed to do. And the Lord at that point gave me discernment to recognize that talking probably wasn't the best way. The best way was probably to listen and to ask questions and to spend most of my time listening to see what the issues were and then seek to shepherd his heart. This is the process of spiritual growth. As the Word of God takes root in our heart, we begin to develop the skill of discernment where we discern not only what is bad from what is good, but what is good from what is most excellent. And we seek to walk in the most excellent way. And as a result, what results is a purity and a blamelessness of life. Paul says, this is my prayer. The church be pure. The word pure meaning unmixed or genuine, sincere, having moral integrity. I'm praying that the church will be blameless, meaning without stumbling or offense, not falling into sinful conduct, not causing others to fall into the iniquity. And he says, I'm praying that the church would grow in purity and blamelessness, literally into or in preparation for the day of Christ. Paul sees that the day of glorification is coming. The consummation of all things is coming. The day of Jesus Christ is soon and near. And I want the church to be pure and blameless in preparation for that day. Spiritual growth is growth in love, is growth in knowledge, and it is growth in purity. As I said earlier, this is not novel teaching. This is not complicated information. I'm not saying anything this morning that hasn't been said for generations. I'm not saying anything this morning that hasn't been taught for centuries in the church. If you want to grow spiritually, you pursue love. If you want to grow spiritually, you set yourself on a course to study and understand the Word of God and to apply that teaching to your life. If you want to grow spiritually, you do as Hebrews 12:14 says, you pursue Holiness without which no one will see the Lord, that's spiritual growth. It's a daily walk. It's an active pursuit. Nowhere in any of the verses we have covered this morning says that love and knowledge and holiness just happen. But the scriptures continually call us to pursue these things. As Christians, Paul doesn't say, I'm just going to trust that God is going to do these things in your life. He says, I'm praying actively that this would happen. And I'm laboring in my prayers for your spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is an active pursuit. And all of that makes the teaching of verse 11 all the more surprising. Because all of a sudden, Paul shifts to the passive 
idea. He says in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now there's an apparent paradox here in the New Testament that I will not try to resolve, but I will allow to stand as it is revealed in Scripture. When we come to an apparent paradox in the Scripture, we don't try to resolve it or resolve the tension in our hearts and our minds. We simply allow the teaching of the Word of God to stand. For example, the Scripture teaches that Jesus is God. At the same time, Scripture teaches that Jesus is man. What do we do with that apparent paradox? We allow it to stand. Jesus is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. We don't try to resolve apparent paradoxes. We simply affirm whatever Scripture says. And what Scripture says about spiritual growth is an apparent paradox. And the paradox is this. Spiritual growth is a sovereign work of God. Yet at the same time, we are called to diligently pursue it. Let me repeat that. Spiritual growth is a sovereign work of God. Yet at the same time, we are called to diligently pursue it. All the scriptures we have looked at this morning teach us that we pursue spiritual growth. We pursue love. We pursue the word. We pursue holiness. Nowhere in scripture does it say that we sit back and those things automatically happen. Yet at the same time, Paul switches to the passive idea in verse 11 to make sure you get the fuller picture. That as you are pursuing these things in spiritual growth, you need to understand that at the same time, all of spiritual growth is a sovereign work of God. You are passively being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes to us through Jesus Christ as you actively pursue these components of spiritual growth. You say, Dan, is it active or is it passive? My answer is yes. It's active. We are engaged. We are intentional. We obey Scripture. And it's also passive. Because as we are laboring and striving after spiritual growth, we understand that this is not our work, this is God's work. That God is filling us with the fruit of righteousness as we actively pursue these things. And what's amazing is that sometimes both the active idea and the passive idea are contained in the same verse. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like an active idea to me. Paul says you are to work, you are to strive, you are to live, you are to forget what lies behind and to press forward to what lies ahead. Then immediately he adds, why? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You say, Paul, which is it? Is it me working or is it God working? And Paul says, yes, God's working. And yet God is working through your working. Your working is an expression of God's working. Both the active idea and the passive idea in the same verse. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. That sounds active to me. I worked hard. You ask Paul, what was your ministry? What was your spiritual growth? 
How did you pursue spiritual maturity? Paul would say, I worked. So well, that sounds like righteousness to me. He immediately adds, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul says, I'm struggling, I'm striving, I'm laboring, I'm repenting of my sins, I'm pursuing, I'm pressing on to know Jesus Christ. But all of that is God's sovereign grace working through my life. Both, both ideas are in place in Scripture. Both ideas are contained even in the same verse. And on one hand, you can go to one extreme and say that spiritual growth is all by God's sovereign work. And what that means is I just trust in God's sovereign work and I don't need to get out of bed in the morning. It'll just happen because God's at work in me. Scripture says, no, you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then we can go all the way to the other extreme and say, oh, then it's all my work. I'm to do the work. So it's all up to me. And I have to work and labor and strive. And if I don't, then there's despair in my life. And if I do succeed after all my work, I can look back and say, Look at all the ways that I have grown spiritually and see how much I have accomplished in my spiritual maturity. And the Bible says, no. At the end of it all, you are just passively being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. At the end of it all, you give God all the glory because any spiritual growth that was born was God's sovereign work through you. Yes, it was you working, but it was God's grace. It was not you, it was God's grace working through you. Both the active concept and the passive concept are presented side by side in Scripture. And when we come across that paradox, brothers and sisters, you don't try to resolve it. You just let it stand and you affirm what Scripture teaches. We affirm on one hand the sanctification is completely the sovereign work of God. And that he will be faithful to finish the work that he began in us. And yet at the same time, we acknowledge that God's sovereign work does not create a passivity to the Christian life, but instead it fuels an ever-increasing work ethic in which we trust in the grace of God and we allow the grace of God to energetically work in our hearts so that we intentionally obey the New Testament imperatives. Spiritual growth is an active idea, and it is a passive idea. We are being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. How that resolves, I don't know. You have to get someone smarter, like God, to resolve all that for you. I do know this. Practically, here's how it works. You want to glorify God this week? Pursue spiritual growth. Engage with intensity in pressing on to maturity as Paul did. Forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Long for the pure spiritual milk of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. Be diligent to present yourself a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. 
Pursue love. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Confess your sin and repent of all known iniquity. And at the end of the week, when all is said and done, if you see that there has been any fruit born in your life, if you see that you have made any progress spiritually in knowing Christ, look back on that week and give God all the glory. Because any fruit that was born in your life was God filling you with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It was God's sovereign work through you. Look at verse 11 once again. We are being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul draws our attention to the fact that spiritual growth is a sovereign work of God. And he draws our attention that all spiritual growth comes to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. All spiritual growth comes through Jesus Christ because all salvation comes through Christ. Justification comes to us through Christ. Glorification comes to us through Christ. And sanctification, which is the process of spiritual growth, comes to us through Christ's life, death, and resurrection from the grave. It is through Christ. It is through His perfect work on our behalf that we receive passively the grace of sanctification. And as we receive by faith the grace of sanctification, that grace becomes an energetic principle in our hearts and our lives, which gives expression to an ever-increasing intensity in pursuing spiritual maturity. All of that is the expression of the grace of God being given to us through the work of Jesus on the cross, received by faith, and it is expressed in an active pursuit of spiritual growth. Let me encourage you this morning as we come to the Lord's table. Would you renew, brothers and sisters, your passion to grow spiritually? Would you renew your desire to know Christ more? Would you resolve this morning that you will not rest on your spiritual laurels or your spiritual accomplishments? You will Forget what lies behind. You will pursue and press on to know Christ. You will strain forward to what lies ahead. Would you say to Jesus this morning that though I know you, I don't know you as much as I want to know you. That I want to know you more. And I want to grow in love. I want to grow in your word. I want to grow in purity, all to the glory and praise of God. What we are doing as we come to the Lord's table is we are doing both an active discipline and we are also experiencing a passive concept. You say this seems paradoxical, but you and I know that experientially we do both. 
what we are doing when we take the bread and we take the cup is we are actively remembering Christ. We are actively calling to mind the glories of the gospel and the glories of the cross. We are actively gazing at the cross and the blood that was shed on our behalf in order to forgive us for our sins. None of that is just happening. We are engaging with heart and with mind and with spirit to remember Christ, His life, His death, and His resurrection. And as we actively pursue Christ in this time, we are passively receiving grace from God. And we are receiving grace through faith, through faith in the work of Christ on our behalf. Let us both actively remember and let us passively receive. Let us press on to spiritual maturity, remembering that all spiritual growth comes to us through Christ. Let's pray together as we come to the Lord's table. Our Father, we thank you for your word which teaches us of your grace as we have received your grace in our justification. Our hearts are to receive your grace in our sanctification. By faith, we want to come to the cross and receive not only the grace that forgives us positionally, but the grace that makes us righteous practically. We want to press on to know Jesus more. Lord, that is our cry. Help us to know Christ more. Even as we take of these elements, Lord, may this be a time where we pursue Christ. And as we actively pursue, that we may passively receive the grace that you have for us, all to your glory, in Christ's name.